All right, all right, you guys. Grab a seat, grab a seat. Get close. Hope the person you're close to showered sometime this week. <laughs> I didn't mean for you to ask the person next to you if they've showered. Some of you are asking. I don't know if that's okay. I don't know if that's okay. Yeah, there are a few people looking for seats, and there are seats. They're just kind of in between people. So if you have a seat, you can raise your hand to some of these people looking for seats. Um, Matt. Matt says there's one reserved seat right next to him in the front row. Anybody? Anybody? All right. Um, we are so privileged tonight to have a guest speaker. I'm excited for you to hear from him. Woohoo! I don't suppose I have anybody, I don't know, we don't get a ton here from way out there, but anybody here from Snellville area? What? Yeah, buddy, Michael, what? Uh, so tonight you get to hear from our spiritual formation pastor at our Snellville campus, yes, and his name is Michael Lumpkin, and I am, I've been looking forward to this. One, he's preaching from one of my top five favorite passages in all of scripture. Two, um, he's just someone that I think, and I told the volunteers this earlier, carries with him um, a very stable strength and wisdom and depth that I think that uh, you're going to be eager to soak up. So here's what I want us to do. He's going to come on up. And as he comes, can we just welcome him the way that C12 welcomes? Like loud, loud. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. Well, hey, guys. How's everybody doing? Good. This is a lot bigger and, gosh, a lot heavier than I thought. Chandler, you're strong. I'm clearly weak. <clears throat> Well, guys, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I, you know I, when in prepping, you really never know how you're going to be introduced. So you prepare both ways of like saying, hi, I'm Michael. And it sounds like you're in an AA meeting. Um, and you guys say, I'll say, hi, Michael. Um, but um, great, I'm great to, uh, grateful to have Heather um, introduce me. Yes, I am at Snellville. Who's in here from Snellville? few people from Snell Vegas is what they call it. I'm actually not originally from Snellville. I'm actually originally from Virginia. Um, yeah. Oh, the one person. Where in Virginia are you from? Okay. That's further away than I am. That's nice though. Um, <clears throat> Um, I, I'm not. I'm from Charlottesville, so if you know where that's at. But anyways, um, yeah, it's great to be here. I'm a transplant to Georgia. My wife and I, my wife is actually from Colorado, and uh, oh, now there's a lot more Colorado people in here. I don't know anything really about Colorado outside of Denver, and they have mountains. Um, but um, we met in college and everything, and so, um, but before we go into that and, and talk a little bit about my family, because I do want to do that with you guys, um, because I'm the elephant in the room. You guys kind of all know each other, and I'm the stranger, um, and your parents to encourage you, at least they should have encouraged you not to talk to strangers or listen to them. Um, I would love, uh, I know we've, we've like bathed this place in prayer but I wanna do that one more time. And here's what I'm gonna say as I pray. Um, I wanna encourage you to get in a posture, not just in a mental or emotional or spiritual posture, but I'll say physical posture to invite the Holy Spirit here. I know we've done that, but for me, before I go forward, I wanna do that as well. Um, because here's the, here's the reality of the situation. There is nothing I can say that will make an eternal impact in your life or in the kingdom for the good. Maybe if I can do something for the bad, but I have nothing to offer unless God speaks through me. 
And so I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna ask you to join me in prayer. And, and, and that might mean for some of you standing up, it might be for some of you sitting where you are, and for some of you it might mean kneeling, but I wanna invite the Holy Spirit here. And I know you guys have been talking about the Holy Spirit. He is with us, and he's with us tonight. And I want him to have freedom in this place to speak through me. So would you guys join me in prayer? Father, it is an honor Bigger than honor. I don't even know if there, there is a, a word in the English language to describe what it is to actually know you. I don't know if there is a, an actual word to describe how much of a privilege it is to have a relationship with you. You have found me, you redeemed me, and so many in this room, you've done the same thing. We didn't save ourselves. And we never can and we never will. And so, Jesus, it is you that we're here for tonight. It's not for me. I have nothing profound to offer. But, Father, your spirit is profound. It is wisdom. It is what we need. It's what I need. And so I ask you, would you have your way here tonight? Would you speak through me? And if anything of eternal significance takes place, which I know it can, May all the honor and credit and glory go to you, my Father, my King, my God. Because I have nothing to offer, Jesus. And, and, and it has been a long growing process to realize there's not much to Michael. I'm a very arrogant person that you continue to humble. And so I pray tonight that whatever is heard, Jesus, may it be for the glory of your name. Would you let all the words that come from my mouth be the words that you want spoken. And together we ask this in your name. Amen. So I mentioned, by the way, um, I, have, I have a cold, and, and my children love to share things. Uh, the only thing they actually like to share is their colds um, with me. Um, and so, um, I, you know, I am, this, like I said, I am the elephant in the room. I'm the new one in the room. Um, and so I want to take just a minute to kind of show you who I am and, and show you my heartbeat um, and, and, and really introduce you to that because I've always appreciated someone that's in a, that gets in front of a crowd that they don't know that actually says, hey, let me let you in. And it's not because I'm trying to convince you of anything. It's actually because I just want you to understand this is who I am and this is what I'm about. I love my relationship with Jesus. And outside of that, and there's really nothing outside of that, but let me show you what, what really gets my heart. And it's this right here, my family. Um, this is my family, yes. The crazy bunch they are. This is a year ago, actually, so they're a year older now. Um, my wife and I, we met in Virginia. We met in college. Her name is Candace. We have been married almost 10 years. Um, yep. <clears throat> Going strong, yay, yay for me, uh, we'll, we pray for her. Um, <laughs> I'm serious, pray for her, uh, she's married to me. Um, but the other three, my children, God has been so kind to me. This is what my ministry is all about. They are my first ministry. My kids are my first disciples. There are no disciples that I will ever have, people that I mentor and that I disciple. There will be none greater that come before them. I get the privilege of being their dad. And I love that. Um, I'll introduce them to you. Um, Jackson is in the middle. He is the little blonde boy. He is seven years old now. He turned seven last, last month. He is a stud, and I know it, and I don't look forward to teenage years. Um, I don't. I really don't. See, that little, he, this is kind of in the winter of last year, so all of his tan skin is faded. His hair comes, becomes bleach blonde, and he gets really olive skin. He looks like a little surfer kid. And I do not look forward to teenage years with him because I was up to no good as a teenager, and I didn't look like that. 
okay? So I do not look forward to what it's like for him. I pray for him daily, and I'm not kidding, but I'm joking, but I'm not kidding. Um, Elena is my little, um, she's, the, she's the little girl in between. She's my only little girl. She is not a princess. She's a queen. She is a queen. She knows she's a queen, and she's okay with it, and I'm okay with it too. She is the definition of a sour patch child. She is hot and cold, and she will turn on you within a second. She has a mouth that is venomous. Um, she is intense all the time, and I love her for it. Um, her name is Elena. Here's a little fact about Elena. Um, anybody in here ever watched or has watched Vampire Diaries? Glad majority are girls in the room. Thank you for the few guys that were honest. Thank you. Thank you. We, we're friends. I'm in the eighth season currently. Um, there's, a, there's a character by the name of Elena in there, and I'm not saying we named her after that character, but that's where we got the name. At the time, it felt like a good idea, okay? Um, lastly is my little smiley one, Griffin. Um, Griffin... Um, Gosh, he's sweet. He's my happy one. He's just happy to be around. Um, Griffin is almost three. He is the cutest little thing, and he is the happiest little one. He's the adventurer. Um, he's, he's just sweet. He's my intense one as well. Um, he's the adventurer. He likes to get in trouble. Um, this is my family, though. This is what I'm about. Outside of, you know, they're my first ministry, and I love my ministry at the church. But, guys, this is really what I'm about, and I love this. And so I just want you to know, this is what I'm about. This is who I am as a man, as a, as a man of God. And, and I share that with you, not because I'm trying to win something from you, but I just want you to feel more comfortable with me. And so um, tonight, as, as we hang out here in the college ministry or you know, at C12, um, I've been told by multiple people, from Heather to other people that have been involved in this ministry, um, talked to a couple of you prior I've been told that C12 is a, is a safe place to have real conversations. Is that accurate? Good, because I'm kind of that person. Um, I've never been really good at um, faking it. Um, I've always struggled to um, meet status quo, and I've always had questions. I've always had questions about Christianity. I've always had questions about um, different things, and I've always, for a while, I felt shamed for being honest and asking hard questions that bucked the system. So I've heard that this is a safe place to do that, and that's the kind of conversation I want to have tonight. I want to have a real conversation about something that's not necessarily pretty. It's, it's a little bit ugly, and I don't like the answers that we have to develop, but I believe they're real, and I think we should chase after them, and I think they're important. And so I want to present to you a question that will serve as maybe the catalyst, if you will, the starting point, the igniter of momentum for our conversation tonight. And here's the question for you. Will God know, knowingly send you into a storm? Think about that. That's going to kind of serve as like our foundational question that's going to move us forward. Will God knowingly, emphasis on knowingly, like he's not blind to it, will he send you into a storm? Now, there's only two answers for that. Yes or no. There's no maybe. I am not a maybe person. I don't live in gray zones. It's, it's one way or the other. And here's the problem about that type of question. It sucks however you answer it. Because if you say yes, you're admitting that God will let you suffer. And when I say storm, here's what I mean. Trial, tribulation, pain, suffering. Will God let you go through that? If you say yes, then you're admitting that God will let you go through pain. 
But if you say no, then you have to answer the question that I'll present to you right now. Then how do you explain Christians? Just, we'll just talk about Christians. How do you explain Christians suffering and going through pain? I don't like vulnerability. Anybody else in here like that? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't like emotions either. I, don't, I mean, I know why God gave them to us, but I don't really like them. I try to avoid them at all costs, unless they're like happiness. I like that one. And I also like anger. I'm not going to lie. Um, it gets me through things. I'm motivated sometimes. Like if it makes me super angry, I can get through it. <clears throat> I'm really good with those two emotions. But I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. And I really don't like vulnerability, especially when God asks me to be vulnerable. See, the past two years um, have been really hard for me and my family. It's as if my life got flipped upside down and I was left to figure it out. See, a couple years ago, about five years ago, I landed my dream job at the time, not anymore, but at the time I landed my dream job. See, prior to being, um, as, as Heather shared with you, a spiritual formation pastor, um, and by the way, by spiritual formation pastor, my role um, at our Snellville campus is to help people follow Jesus. Not just find him, but take their next steps in following after him. That's what I get to do, and I love it. But prior to being what we would call like a small groups pastor or a discipleship pastor or whatever title you want to give it, prior to doing that, I was a youth pastor. Loved it. Don't want to go back. Loved it, don't want to go back. It was a great season that has come to an end. Um, but I did, I loved it. And so as a youth pastor, I landed the dream job. It was a huge ministry. We had a high, massive high school ministry. I inherited that. I inherited a huge staff, a huge budget. I had resources that made no sense. It was amazing until it wasn't. You know how life goes. It's great until it's not right? You know how that is? Like, it's like, oh, this is great. No, it's not. It's like it goes and goes and then it stops. Well, it was an incredible church. It, was, it still is an incredible church. It was an incredible ministry. It still is an incredible ministry. But I didn't realize that I was carrying a lot of baggage with me. And that's most people, right? You don't realize the junk you're carrying with you until you meet a tension point. So I got to a place where I burn out. You've heard about burnout in life or ministry before. I never thought it would happen to me. I actually laugh at people that burn out, and then I burn out <laughs> because I didn't take care of myself and because I was an idiot. So I got to a point where I couldn't deny that I was fading. I couldn't deny that the ministry was struggling. I couldn't deny all the factors around me that everything was fading, including it felt like me. And so I had to end up having a really hard conversation with our executive pastor. And I told him, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm exhausted. And I ended up resigning as the youth pastor. And he was okay with that. And, and the elders were okay with that. And they didn't want to see me go. And so they actually, and they did the most loving thing they possibly could. They actually made space for me to take time off and not leave the church. They were so kind. And so I took about a month and a half off. In church world, we call it like a sabbatical. I just took a leave of absence, and it was humiliating. I was that guy now that had burnout and, and not taking care of himself. 
Fast forward after that, that season, God called me up metaphorically to like a mountaintop. And we got so close, the fire for ministry, my relationship with God was at its all time high. And, and you know, a year prior to this burnout, I'd already begun feeling the lead of God to leave youth ministry. And I had already talked to my leaders about that. And it just so happened that they had a position for group ministry to small groups that opened up and they wanted me to take it. And so it just seemed so perfect. And it was, it was God's will. And so I came back after those six weeks, five and a half, six weeks on fire, loving ministry, loving people again. Everything was the way it should. It should have been. And then two months later, I got fired. I have never felt more humiliated in my life. Everything shattered. That family, the reason why I showed you partly my family is because those were the people that it impacted. I wanted to point the finger at every single person. The problem was I didn't realize how unhealthy I had become in my ministry. See, this stage, this platform, See, I was in a student ministry that had hundreds and hundreds. It was about me. And I didn't see it. My staff served me, but I would tell you behind the mask of deception, it was Jesus. I couldn't tell you that when I got fired, though. I was ticked at the world. And the person I was ticked off at the most was God. He saw it coming and he let me go through it. Why would you do that? You take me up on this mountain to just kick me in the valley? That's literally what it felt like. So why do I share that story with you? Is it to make you like get on my side and hate that church? No, they did the right thing. Hear me when I say this, they did the right thing. Now I couldn't say that at the time, but they did the right thing. God letting that happen to me, hands down, is the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life. But at the time, it was horrible. See, the truth is, and there's so much more to the story, but why do I share that with you? Because I've been through the storms, and I'll go through them again. Because you know as well as I do that God will let you enter a storm. He will. He will knowingly let you enter a storm. You know that. The question isn't, will God let you enter a storm? You know the answer is yes. We know that answer. The better question that we need to look at tonight is this question. How do you navigate them? How do you navigate the storms that God lets you enter? See, the storm that I entered of my termination, as they said it, because fired is actually not nearly as awful sounding as the word terminated, and that's what they did to me. They literally said, we're terminating your employment. I was like, oh, gosh, that's even worse. It's like, you feel like I'm dying. And I did. I felt like I was dying. But how do you navigate the storms that God lets you knowingly enter? He knowingly let me go through that. But how do you navigate that? See, many of you in this room are not in a storm or a trial in life, but many of you are. All of us, though, need to know how to navigate those places because they are inevitable. We will face them. John chapter 16, verse 33 reads the following. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
Jesus is talking about himself here, peace. He's also known as the Prince of Peace. But he says this, in the world you will have what? Tribulation, pain, suffering, trials. You're gonna have storms, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The question though is, how do you get through those storms with that peace that Jesus offers? Will you have storms? You better believe it. But how you get through them, if you don't have an answer for that, you're gonna find yourself in a situation you're not gonna know how to navigate. And that's a difficult place to get to. And so tonight, wherever you are, I think it's important for you and I to understand that the storms are inevitable. But knowing how to get through them is the key. And it's really not that hard. But before we get to it, I want to talk to a very specific group of people. I want to talk to all of you, but there's a specific group of people that I relate to a lot. It's the people in the room that are hung up on why. Anybody in here ever struggled with why God? If you haven't yet, you will. If you're in this room and you're in a trial, you're in a tribulation, or maybe someone that you love is in a trial or tribulation, and you're like, I can't get past the why, Michael, to get to the how. See, tonight we gotta talk about the how, but you're hung up on the why. Why, God, did you let my mom? Why, God, did you let this happen to me? Why, God? That question's hard. And see, during the past 18 months to two years, I've dealt with a why, God, that isn't my own, but my bride's, my wife's. And real briefly, I wanna talk to you, for those of you that are hung up on the why. I get it, my wife gets it. See, after I got fired, terminated, my wife ended up losing two women in her life that were very influential. First one's name was Jennifer Naraki. She was a loving mom. She loved her kids. She loved Jesus. She was an influencer of other mothers. Her mission was to help moms have a community and raise children. She got ovarian cancer and died. She did everything right. She did all the chemical treatments. She did all the holistic treatments. She did everything right, and God let her die. My wife was shook. And then... Months later, a girl named Molly died in the same circle in a freak car accident. My wife has been struggling ever since. Why, God, did you let this happen to Michael? Well, we figured out, like, hey, Michael's an idiot. But the, the, the death of these two women, I mean, guys, I want to paint you a picture. I, my wife and I have this, like, un unintentional routine, like when we finally get our, our, our little children to sleep, which is, God, a nightmare in itself. But when we finally get them to bed, we sit down on our couch, and I would say 90% of the time, we just sit there and we talk for a little while. You know, as you want to do as a couple. And there are times where our conversations get deep, and so many times, my bride will look at me, she's like, is, so why do you think God let Jennifer die? Why do you think he took Molly home? 
as a husband, you don't have an answer. And it's horrible. It's horrible. Because I'm watching my wife broken. Because I can't answer the why. And what I have realized in my short time, which many of you already know as well, on this side of heaven, you don't always get the answer to why. And God actually tells us that in Isaiah 55. Check this out. Isaiah 55, verses eight through nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and your thoughts, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Translation, there are times where God doesn't make sense. That's all this passage is saying. There are times where God doesn't make sense and you've got to come to terms with that. And so if you're in this room and you're dealing with the why God, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do because my wife, this last weekend finally did it. After 18 months, she surrendered her why. She actually went away with a group of moms to a retreat of these same women in that same circle and she felt safe enough to surrender the why God. And if you're in here tonight and you're struggling with why God did you let this happen to me or someone else, I'm gonna kindly ask you for the remainder of the 15 minutes we have to just lay down the why. Pick it up later if you need to, but just for the, our time, would you just try to lay down the why? So how do you navigate the storms? There's, a, there's multiple stories we could turn to, but I want to turn to a story in Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bible with you or you have it on your phone, open up to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 32. I'm reading from the ESV. You may have another translation, but they all tell the same story. So let's, let's go through it like this. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22, immediately... He, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was he, when he saw the wind he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried out lord save me and Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him oh you of little faith why did you doubt me and when they got into the boat the wind ceased and verse 33 actually reads this it's not going to come on the screens and those in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the son of god now, if, you, if you've been raised in church any little bit, this is a very common story. The story of when Peter walks on water to Jesus. And that's great. But there's so many other details that we often don't pay attention to. Jesus knowingly sent those disciples onto the sea 
to cross it. He let it happen. And yet he met them in the middle of the storm. He met them in the wind. He met them in the waves. See, what's fascinating about this story to me is that Jesus is all-knowing. He is fully God, yet he let it happen. He didn't warn the disciples, hey, by the way, when you go across the sea, it's going to be a little windy. Why don't you wait until a little bit later when the wind passes? He let them go. And it says he went up on the mountainside, a mountain that was right near the sea, which tells me he could see them for a little while. Yet Jesus did not intervene right away. He let them go. He told them to enter it, yet they didn't know they were entering it. Can you relate? I can. What's even more fascinating is the story that comes before that story. The story is actually, it says immediately afterward, that's where verse 22 picks up. It says immediately afterwards, he sent them. What went on beforehand? A miracle. See, Jesus was on the hillside feeding thousands with just a few fish and a few loaves. The disciples saw Jesus practically take nothing and turn it into abundance. Yet when they got in the storm, they crumbled. See, the disciples kept rowing and rowing and pushing and pushing. And when they met adversity, when they met the wind and they met the waves, the only thing they knew to do was keep pushing. So what do you do when you're in a storm like that? Literally, you look down and you keep pushing forward. These are the disciples, the same disciples at this point when you pick up Matthew 14 that have seen Jesus heal the blind, cause the lame man to walk, turn water into wine. They've seen Jesus do miraculous things and they just did less than 24 hours, saw Jesus take practically nothing, just a few fish and a few loaves and feed nearly more than 5,000 people. And yet in the storm, they forgot all about it. Can you relate? And yet midway through the storm, they see Jesus walking to them. They looked up and there, there's this figure and their first inclination is not, oh, it's Jesus. Their first inclination is, it's a ghost. Because isn't that true of us when we're in a storm? If we're really honest with ourselves, do we expect Jesus to show up? See, when you're not in a storm, you'll say yes. But when you're in the storm, that's where the test comes. Jesus showed up literally in the storm, in the wind, in the waves, and he met the disciples in their problem. Do you expect him to do the same with you? You should. These just, the irony of the whole story is they knew that Jesus could take care of them. They knew it. But yet when they got in the storm, they forgot. When I was in the, the stormy trial that I pretty much created. So many times I forgot that Jesus was with me. You ever heard the name Emmanuel before? It means God with us. Not God that's nearby. Not God in proximity. Jesus with us. 
I don't know what storm you're in. I don't know what storms you'll face. I don't know what storms you have faced. But I know this much, you're never alone. But you feel alone. Because when all you can do is focus on rowing and pushing forward, you're saying it's got to be what I can do, what I can do, what I can do. And then when you actually look up, you realize what Jesus has done. It's no more doing, it's what he's done. See, a lot of times we expect, if you're anything like me, you expect, you understand Jesus as the savior of your sins, but you forget that he's such a bigger savior than that. He's the savior in the storms, guys. And so Peter is bold enough to say, if it's really you, call me to walk to you. And Jesus is like, come on. And so Peter gets out of the boat and walks to Jesus. And he literally walks to him. Did the wind and waves stop? Nope. The storm was still going and the wind's still blowing. The waves are still churning. The, the water from the waves and the wind is still splashing on Jesus and still splashing on Peter, but it didn't matter. Why? Because Peter was fixed on one thing, his Savior. It seems so elementary, but when we get into difficult times and trials, it's like the elementary things just go out the window. Guys, how do, we, how do we navigate the storms of life? It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward and simple. We have to fix our eyes on our Savior, not on the storm. The moment Peter shifted his eyes to the storm is the moment he starts sinking. The storm never changed, though, when his eyes were on Jesus, but he had the faith to move toward him. Jesus is in whatever storm you face. He's in it with you. He is. He's 100% in it with you. You just gotta look up. But if all you're doing is rowing, metaphorically, rowing and rowing and pushing, and it's all about what you can do, it's not that you'll miss him, but you're gonna exhaust yourself. And it's not that when you look up at Jesus and you see him in the storm with you, that your storm dies. But the storms can wade and go and rage and spin, but you're secure in the one who has you. I tried to think about what a, a college student, a young adult faces. You face the same crap I do. Some of you face anxiety, you face depression, you face hopelessness. Some of you face where your next paycheck's gonna come from. You face relationship issues. You face the things that have happened to you that you didn't deserve to happen to you. You face all the same things we all face. And some of you are rowing in the storm right now and you're not looking up. You're just looking at the storm. Some of you are sick and you're just looking at the sickness, not, not your savior. 
I don't know what you face. But I know this much. Not just from personal experience, but based on scripture. He's in it with you if you just look up. If you just look up. You can't save yourself. You can try to, but you'll exhaust yourself. And so guys, I, and here, here's the thing that as I was thinking about this and praying, praying for you guys, I think it's the storms of life that actually offer us the greatest blessing. Because I think it's when you are in your storm and you're brought to your absolute lowest that you see God at his greatest. In fact, I would argue that it is in your storm that you get the best picture of Jesus. Because when you're not in the storm, you can say a whole lot of really good churchy crap and not believe it. But when you're in the storm, that's when it's put to the test. You can say all the right things outside of the storm, but when you're in the storm, that's when you've got to believe it. And some of you are on the outside of a storm and and life is good. You should be on your knees praising God that you're not in it. But some of you are in the storm and you should be standing on your feet praising God because he's in it with you. He's in it with you guys. And I think the greatest storm that your demographic, meaning college and young adults faces, is obscurity. The storm of obscurity. What do I do with my life? Where do I go? I mean, it is question, 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 question. And you are like, I don't know. And you feel so lost. He's in that with you. Don't you ever forget it. And it's when you are literally at your most broken place that you will see God come in and the mightiest of ways. And does it mean that the cancer disappears? No. Does it mean that your storm goes away? No. It might. It might not. But it does mean that you have a Savior that will walk with you through it. Paul himself said, when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. Your storm gives you the opportunity to see the mighty hand of God in the greatest of ways. And I'm not saying that you're like, hey, God, give me some storms. No, I'm not saying that. No, you'd be crazy if you prayed that. What I'm saying, though, is if you're in it, look up, look up. Take take your gaze off the waves, off the wind, off the storm. Because I'll tell you this much, when I got my eyes off of my termination and I stopped pointing fingers at everybody else and I actually looked up at my Savior, The storm was still going. I was still unemployed. I didn't know how I was going to make my mortgage payment. I didn't know how I was going to take care of my kids. But there was peace while the storm raged. And I still had to walk through a lot of garbage. I had a lot of things I had to own. But Jesus never left my side in it. And so, guys, I I, I say that to you because I don't know who needs to hear it, who needs to be reminded of it, but he's there with you. And so tonight, I don't know if there's an actual practical next step for all of you other than, would you just look up? If you're in a good place, would you look up? If you're in the storm, would you just look up at your Savior? 
He's in the storm with you. And he's not gonna abandon you. And the worst case scenario, and this sounds silly, but it's not. Worst case scenario, guys, is the storm takes your physical life. But take heart, he's overcome the world. He conquered sin and death. There's nothing that a storm can do to you that is greater than what he's done for you. Can I pray over you guys? Jesus, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't, I, I honestly have no idea who needed to hear what was said. Heck, maybe it was just for me. I'm cool with that. But God, I pray for anyone in this room that needs to see you walking on the water to them, that you would make yourself so evidently clear tonight, that you would walk on that metaphorical, even if it's just in this, in this connection point, would you walk on the water to them? And would you say to that son, that daughter, come. God, I pray that you would calm the storms. Obviously, I want the storms to go away. That's what I wanted for myself. But you left me in it for a while. But in so many ways, you were just like you were to the disciples. You climbed in the boat with me. And so I pray for every heart in this room that is in a storm, that has just gotten out of a storm. May they remember, Father, that the wind and the waves, the storms, have no greater power over you. They have to obey your voice. The wind has to listen to you. The waves have to listen to you. Sickness has to listen to you. Trials and tribulation, they have to listen to you. When you speak, it is. You spoke this world into existence. It is yours. We are yours. And so, Father, I pray over every heart tonight that they hear you speak and that they have the peace that you promise us that goes beyond understanding. You call yourself the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace, I am asking you, Holy Spirit, Comforter of God, would you send that to us tonight? No more fear, just faith. Would you send that to us, Jesus? Walk to us on the water. Because God, we need it. And some of us are like Peter, and we are sinking, Father. We cry out, help. May they feel and know your rescuing hand. May they know it tonight and know that you're in the storm with them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.